I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. We've discussed government worker unions and their left-wing politics on this podcast before, but what can workers do to protect themselves against union activities they disagree with? Americans for Fair Treatment is helping educate public sector employees about their constitutional rights around union membership, and joining me to discuss some recent government worker union abuses in Americans for Fair Treatment's work is AFFT's CEO, David Osborne. Uh, David, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Yeah, Michael, I'm a, I'm a lawyer by trade. Um, I was convinced um, by some folks who were doing some public policy work that public sector unions were an issue. Um, I was a happily employed lawyer down in Florida, and um, these folks were coming to me from the Northeast, where unions had a real stranglehold on their state house. And what they told me was not just that they had some important public policy ends that they wanted to get to, but couldn't because of the unions. All that was true. But uh, more importantly for me was that along the way, unions had abused public sector employees. Um, They had uh, done underhanded things with their money. They had set up uh, um, schemes whereby they could fund their political agenda uh, without public employees even knowing about it. And to me, that, that was a very compelling reason for me to get involved in the fight really for public sector employees. Okay, uh, so then you for you guys form Americans for Fair Treatment. How did you guys get your start, and what are the goals of your of your organization? We got started because really of a, of a, of a single instance of, of union abuse in Philadelphia. Um, the union uh, in Philadelphia had entered into a contract with Philadelphia School District that allowed six. Is this is this the t- excuse me? Is this the teachers union or is this? A yes, the teachers union in Philadelphia. They had entered into a contract with the with the school district of Philadelphia to allow up to 63 employees to go on leave full time to work for the union. Um, and as best we could tell, public employees uh, were doing so on at least partially on the taxpayer's dime. Um, they were engaged in all sorts of things like politics and um, and grievance representations. And we felt that that was an injustice. And so Americans for Fair Treatment became a plaintiff in a, in a high profile lawsuit against the school, the union and the school district over this particular practice. And uh, I'm happy to report, uh, you know, it took a few years and a couple more lawsuits, but Americans for Fair Treatment actually got what it sought for, what it sought. The, it, uh, all across the state of Pennsylvania, um, this particular practice really changed as a result of these lawsuits. Instead of the unions getting uh, taxpayer-funded employees, like their own union president was off, was yeah, yeah, right. So, so this, I mean, this is a fairly common uh, union practice to the point where, depending on whether it's, I there's there's like official time and release time mm-hmm. or different names for it, depending on what jurisdiction you're in, uh, where the government employer translation taxpayers pay the union work, pay the government workers who have a union job, not to do their government <laughs> job, but to do their union. That's job. right. That's right. And often it's paid for by the public. Uh, certainly per, uh, employees get to keep all the incidences of employment like their pension. 
and accrue even school service time for towards that pension. So, um, so that practice has fundamentally changed in Pennsylvania. There was some threat of legislation, but what unions are doing now, it's not perfect, but unions are reimbursing much of the cost for this kind of practice all across Pennsylvania. Just a, just a wild success mm-hmm. for our organization. Um, what we saw as uh, uh, in 2018 as an important U.S. Supreme Court case was coming that would affect public employees is a new opportunity for Americans for Fair Treatment. That, that, that being Janice v. AFSCME. Janice versus AFSCME, yeah. The issue in that case was whether um, public sector employees could be made to pay a fee as a condition of employment publicly. And um, the answer ultimately the Supreme Court gave was no. And that's... Yeah, yeah. Because you had, cause you had in, in non-right-to-work states, in forced unionism states, uh, at that time, both government and non-government workers could be compelled as a condition of employment to pay a share of the union fee, even if they didn't want to be members of the union, Mm -hmm. if they wanted to keep Mm -hmm. working. Supreme Court rules that, at least for government workers, basically every expenditure they make is in some way political, therefore it violates the First Amendment. Right. Um, And we saw that public employees, uh, one thing about U.S. Supreme Court decisions we don't often think about is that they're not really self-executing. And um, Americans for Fair and Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson had a quote about that. <laughs> what, what was that? Do you remember? I, I Mr. Marshall has made his decision now. Now let him. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we we felt that we had some duty to to reach public employees if we were true to our mission with the news that they no longer had to pay the union or subsidize its its political agenda. And in 2018, we started doing just that. That's the last four years of our existence has been spent educating public employees and then empowering them to do what I what I call declaring union independence. Um, That means if if they so desire and if they want to exercise these rights to leave their union, to stop paying the union and subsidizing its political agenda. And then after that, a whole host of other options open up. Um, They can do things like speak out against their union publicly um, they can advocate for, for reforms in the legislature, um, and they can even counter-organize, which we've helped a number of groups of, of employees do recently. So what, what does that educate, like what sort of things are you educating other than that Janus rights exist? What are you trying to let these government workers know? Well, don't skip over that part. You'd be surprised that uh, public empo- public employers are not telling public employees about their rights. Well, in, in, in some state, in some states, the I think California is one. the The legislature has said that it is forbidden for the public employer to tell them yep. to tell the employees that Janus rights and, exist. And even outside of California, they're terrified that that they'll get hit with some sort of an unfair labor practice charge if they do. And then, of course, unions are not telling people that at all. So, um, so it is very important that we reach public employees many of whom still believe it's a condition of employment, not just to pay a fee, but to be a member of the union, um, that they have uh, they have rights not to do those kinds of things. Um, a- after that, what they need to be alerted to is, the, uh, is that the, their gut feel about um, the unhealthy aspects of their union, uh, because they all have a gut feel about it. Something's wrong here. Um, that those... Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, like we saw... I mean, it was negotiated back earlier in the year, but it sort of broke into public notice this week that the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers had 
included in its layoff system an ethnic preference, a racial or ethnic preference. You know, as these unions, I mean, are, do you guys find that people who are who have that gut feeling about the union, is it the political activities of the union? Is it that they think the union is corrupt or badly led? Like, what's the what takes a government worker who maybe is a union member, maybe just has been had been paying fees, and turns them into somebody that you can that, who is either going to come to you or when you're when you reach out to them that they're receptive. Two, well, it depends on the person. Two different routes. The the sort of the politically conservative, um, you know, the 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 teacher that we meet in a in a in a relatively conservative area, um, who has been often peppered with union messaging about different social issues or about candidates. Um, they're what what helps for them is to is to be educated as to the union's involvement in political things that go beyond that. So the stuff that you hear about critical race theory or about mm-hmm. gender identity, you know that that these things may not be the central purpose of the union, but the union on the national level has really thrown their weight behind all of it. And the the dues that these teachers pay are are rarely spent in the district a very small amount something south of 13% of their dues right right it, it's the, it goes it goes up the chain to the state state council and then to the national union which then they can do whatever they yeah, want so that, so that becomes an issue of conscience for a lot of teachers um, on the other hand there are people who you know maybe share the union's perspective on a lot of political issues and we've we've helped them a lot as well what they get, they get the sneaking suspicion that the union's not really fighting for them and that they don't really have any power relative to the union. And um, those those sneaking suspicions happen to be very true. Sometimes they only mm-hmm. come out in, a, in an event like a strike. So when a teacher strike mm-hmm. happens, that's a big cultural moment. And if we are there to answer teachers' questions about the rights that they have during a strike, they're often surprised to figure out that they have fewer rights if they're a union member in a strike than they would if they were not a member. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then that the union, while they can take a vote uh, to, for instance, authorize a strike or to engage in a strike, or then to, to accept uh, a, a collective bargaining agreement once the strike is over, they, the union doesn't actually have to listen to them. And there have been many instances in which the union has completely disregarded or, uh, or ensured that the the members vote is one that's in line with union preferences. Um, they don't, not every public employee experiences that kind of thing firsthand, but mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. if they are able to see it when it's happening, um, sometimes it's a real deal breaker. The union has overplayed its hand so many times when it comes to these things that, um, that, that teachers are looking for answers. And so, sort of above and beyond the sort of basic issues with, you know, taking government workers' money and using it for essentially political advocacy. What are some of the other problems with government worker unions that that you guys have run into? Well, uh, we've touched a little bit perhaps on this already, but the collectivism of the public sector unions means that, um, that dealing with the union uh, is an all or nothing kind of proposition. 
at the very basic level, when, when there's a collective bargaining agreement that's in place, teachers, uh, other public employees really don't have a lot of incentive to perform in, in the kind of way that, that they'd like to see. So many of the public employees that we work with, they perform anyway. It's an act of, of public service. Um, they may love their job, but they're surrounded by people who are not incentivized to perform as you know, as a typical employee would. They're 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 burnt out in marking time until they get their pension. Well, yeah, a lot of them are. A lot of them are. Um, not only that, but this all or nothing thing. Of course, I mean it's all about union power. And um, when a big issue like COVID comes up. Um, the union has the ability to really flex its muscle as the exclusive representative. Yeah, you. Uh, the Los Angeles Teachers Union is public example number one of this, where they put out in 2020, you know, this mani- essentially manifesto of all the things that they wanted before they would re- allow the schools to reopen. And, you know, it's defund the police, Medicare for all, raise taxes, everything that would otherwise be on their political agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Minimum wage. And then um, I think one of the things that hurt uh, employees the most during that time period were calls for something like, you know, uh, social justice or equity or some of these, these great terms, but they're very broad. And the employers had no way of knowing how to meet those demands. And meanwhile, the, the union has that power with exclusive representation to completely shut off the spigot. Um, of teachers ready to work. And that's the kind of power that gives unions that sort of, that real life kind of power beyond the news um, to, to really affect public policy. If, if public employers and if legislatures aren't willing to do what they ask, there are severe consequences for everyone, including children. Mm-hmm. As, as we, as we have seen in the last couple of years. Yeah. So what can, other than go to your website, what can uh, government workers who sort of recognize these problems, maybe are concerned by them, maybe are starting to have those, those feelings that something isn't quite right, what can they do? Well, aside from going for, to our website where you've got, we've got a ton of resources for people looking for, 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 um, for ways to express their own, their own uh, First Amendment rights, um, one can resign from their union. So uh, that's an important piece. It also frees up the ability for people to do other things. So here's, here's this may be surprising to public sector workers, but unions still have something they call union discipline. So if you, if you for instance, write, your lo- uh, write an op-ed in your local paper about how bad your union is, if you remain a union member when you do that, the union can actually discipline you. Now, it depends on which union you're a part of. It's, it, it'll be written into the bylaws. But unions can and have fined people for for conduct sort of detrimental to the union. And then they've done things like publicly censure people or get them removed from their um, from their union offices. It's uh, you have consequences if you do that. So we encourage people to leave before they exercise any of their First Amendment rights um, in the public sphere. So they could do that. Um, They can also counter organize. Michael, the rules that have uh, allowed unions to come into workplaces to begin with also include a process for getting rid of your union. And the decertification in the 
term term of art, at least in the private sector. You got it. Same in the public sector. Decertification is a process that involves the, the state labor board and the state labor board will come in and oversee what is typically an election to oust the incumbent union. Now, I got to tell you that the, the barriers to being able to pull off a decertification election are really high, as you must know. Um, yeah. One can only file it within a certain window. And then once it's filed, you have to, uh, uh, the employees have to counter organize outside of work, you know, on nights and weekends against a union that has all of the advantages of an incumbent promising to come to a, you know, a new, a new contract where everybody gets raises and uh, with plenty of internal staff that can, you know, 100% of their time continue to organize and squelch the, the decertification effort. But I'll tell you, we've helped people exercise those rights. In fact, that we have a, there's an election um, on the 18th uh, tomorrow as we're recording this for some- yeah tomorrow tomorrow as of recording. So it'll be the we post on Friday, so it'll be yesterday as of hearing. <laughs> um, we're a chart. We, we're helping a charter school unionized by um, the NEA's uh, by the NEA through the NLRB, which is sort of an odd thing um, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, because char- charter schools it depends on how they're how the state charter school law works to as to whether labor law considers them a private employer under the NLRB or a public employer under the state labor board. Yeah. Although I will, I will I'll say, I think the Obama NLRB was willing to just take anybody who wanted to come. <laughs> so um, there'll be a vote. There'll be a, uh, they'll count the vote tomorrow um, for, for that group to, to decertify. Um, we, we help people with that kind of thing as well. And it's an important way that people can, I don't know, turn the collectivism on its head and really, really strike back at the unions that have so long failed them. All right. Uh, Before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to let our listeners know about? Yeah. um, uh, I I think um, one of the, one of the reasons that one should care about unions uh, we've been talking here for a while, but I don't know if many of your listeners have sensed the red meat here. Um, one of the important parts about, about unions and how they affect every aspect of government is that there's sort of a downward spiral, that unions not only are engaged in politics, that's, that's, that can be very bad, very detrimental. It's, 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 the, it's the classic, you know, like think about a private sector union, right? You have the union on one side rep, ostensibly representing the workers. You have the employer's representatives on the other side. They have not entirely aligned interests and they spar over who gets what. Right. In the public sector, in the government sector, well, the union can give campaign contributions to the politicians who then get elected and then sit on the other side of the bargaining table. Right. Those politicians owe them. And so and if they're favorable, especially on social issues, then unions can use that to their advantage and, and can promise to help with the next reelection effort. That results in backroom deals that end up in collective bargaining agreements um, that 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 swallow up tons of the public budget that you might see from all the way down from your from your local government all the way up to the national government where Biden is really exploiting and the unions are really exploiting him um, this sort of symbiotic relationship. All right. Well, thanks again to David Osborne of Americans for Fair Treatment for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to just to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.
Thank you.